Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, I have Christina Butler with me. Um, she is the Professor of Historic Preservation at the American College of, Build- of the Building Arts. I-, I hope that I got all of that down. I tried to write it fast. It was perfect. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, so thank you. Thank you for joining me. Um, so tell me about your background. So um, I'm one of the the few people who at a fairly young age knew exactly what I wanted to do. I loved history and old buildings from earliest memory, like age three, watching this old house. And I knew that's what I wanted to do, but had the misfortune of most folks not knowing what preservation is. And so when I said, I want to work on old buildings, the response was always, oh, well, you know, architecture school, but I didn't really want to learn to design modern buildings. I wanted to work on historic. So um, I guess my earliest somewhat professional education was I went to trade school for two years. I did a construction technology program. So that was, that was great. That was a high school program where you went for half the day and we learned everything from actually a little bit of restoration work. We did window sash, um, rebuild, which was so fun, but the bulk of the program was new construction. So that was really great because we learned to read construction documents and do estimating. We did a little bit of plumbing, you know, sheetrock, framing, you name it. And then when I finished that, I still wanted to work on old buildings and, and didn't really know where to go for that. So for about a year, I was a civil engineering major okay. because it was somewhat built environment related. Mm-hmm. And while I was in the process of that program, luckily pretty early on, um, I found a program at College of Charleston almost by accident. I'd always wanted to move down here anyway because I knew it was the biggest historic district in the country. And on vacation, I went down one of the side streets of College of Charleston campus and saw a building sign for Historic Preservation Headquarters. And I said, huh. And I walked in and grabbed a brochure and realized that was what I had inarticulately been trying to patch together (laughs) out of different programs. So I promptly transferred and did my undergrad in, in preservation and then um, continued doing construction and preservation kind of on the side. Um, Lucked out and got a really good internship with the restoration contractor. And then decided I really liked um, going to school, which is something I never thought I'd say, but I just sort of kept going. Um, Did a master's in American history and um, 
eventually decided, oh, I think I really want to teach. And so for the last 11 years, that's been my main gig is teaching, but I still do a lot of preservation consulting and stuff on the side. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. And I, 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 I don't formally teach. I thought about it after I got my master's degree and I, and I thought about, cause my master's degrees or my, my educational backgrounds in business, not preservation. Oh. So I was like, I was like thinking like, should I, you know, teach marketing? Cause I really enjoy marketing, but then I'm like, I just like to teach people about preservation. So that's just what I use our marketing for. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Tailor it to your yes. own desires. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but I, um, but listening to you, you know, talk about the, the, um, you know, your kind of your path, um, they had me think about a couple of things we had, um, probably now almost like 15 years ago, uh, we had, um, someone who actually came to us to learn the building trade after he graduated from architecture school, because he, he wanted to learn to build before. And, and he was like, he, and we, we took him to like, um, the traditional building conferences and things. And he's like, I never heard anybody talk about like the American architectural styles in, in architectural school. It's a travesty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's like, we just talked about how to build and design. And <laughs> that was, that was really strange to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, architecture and construction are such divorced fields in a way that's really sort of counterintuitive to and a successful be, building right? program. Yeah. And, you know, world history of architecture, same thing he encountered. There's hardly any America. And I know it's a newer country, but not only were we sort of the world leader of steel framing for a pretty long time, but, you know, most folks who live here, those are the kind of buildings they're going to be working on. Right. Yeah. And it's not brand new. It's not like (laughs) we've been around a while now. So, but that, that was interesting to me because, you know, I, I've heard, I heard that from him and actually then he did end up going and getting his architectural license and now he owns his own firm. But one of the things that, you know, he had left us right before the, the recession in, in, in 08. And um, he was, he was working on, you know, getting his license and the, he, they, he, they actually laid a lot of people off in the firm, but kept him because he had understanding of how buildings worked. And yeah, so it was, it was an important, important for him to, to have learned that. So I think, I think there would be benefit from, from both sides to understand both, both, both sides better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my construction trade program, I use it constantly. I mean, in teaching in the field and it really did give me an edge because most people who do a a preservation undergrad, they don't have any construction experience through no fault of their own, but they can't read plans. They probably haven't really been on a job site. So Mm -hmm. I really lucked out being able to sort of put those two things together from a a practical standpoint. And I, and it's great that your program also is teaching how to repair things, because I think that's missing from a lot of programs. Mostly it's just installing new materials. Yeah. So College of Charleston, um, where I did my undergrad, I adjunct for them. I just teach whatever one class they most need, which is usually intro, gets majors, gets people excited. Um, That program, you do have to take um, drafting. What do they call it? Um, Forgetting the name of the title of the class. Preservation Planning Studio, that's what it's called, which is great because not all programs require that. 
Um, and I teach building pathology for them. And we do some site visits and kind of talk about how buildings were built and how they break down and how to repair them. But where I teach now, my, my main job is teaching at American College of the Building right. Arts. And it's a small, you know, about 150 student, four year liberal arts program. And oh, it's not to oversell it, but I always say, had it existed back in the day when I went to college, I would have come here because oh, yeah. it basically marries all the things I had to sort of put together on my right. own. So students here, they major in traditional trades. So timber framing, stone carving, blacksmith, uh, plaster. We have a traditional architecture program um, and architectural carpentry. And so regardless of your trade, whether you're a designer or a, you know, a blacksmith, they all have to take architectural history with me. They have to take a preservation sequence also with myself, um, building material science. Right. So it's great because all the gen eds are tailored towards the built environment, yeah. even science, which you know, makes it an easier pill to swallow usually <laughs> for, for the liberal arts portion. But yeah, it yeah. makes sense though, because so much of building and, and especially traditional building, but so much of building is understanding how the different pieces interact with each other. hundred percent. And, and it is science-based and it is, you know, it is, um, uh, you know, understand what, if this, if this material is touching this, what will happen? And sometimes you just learn that, you know, trial and error and you've made mistakes and you realize you get the call back. <laughs> yeah. Oops. The, the, the cleaner ate the stone. I shan't right. do that again. <laughs> but you know, there, there are, um, that, yeah, I, I do. I, I, I think that that's really valuable program. I'm, I'm glad to, I'm glad to learn about it. Thank you. So I know you talked about preservation from, you know, from being a three-year-old and, and wanting to, um, wanting to, to learn more. Um, so it can, do you know what drew you into preservation or did it just look interesting or, you know, I, I just something, I guess I'm hardwired. I just always was really interesting in, in buildings and yeah. couldn't really articulate it as a kid. I was always interested in construction and how things are put together, but my other earliest interest besides liking horses, what three-year-old doesn't, although I stuck with that also. Um, <laughs> you were very, you, 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 you did, you didn't deviate. You, you found what you liked and you stayed with it. Right. I had that path and I was on it and I was lucky to know what that path was. Um, but I also really liked history. And I think one of the things that pulled me towards preservation was the fact that we can learn so much about, you know, the past and cultures and what societies valued about technology and lack thereof from looking at buildings. So it was a really tangible historic resource where people can get excited about it in a way you can read a textbook, but buildings exist in front of you. Right. And so they're a really effective teaching tool and sort of attached to that was the fact that everything ages, buildings are no different. And just this desire to tell their stories and prevent them from being lost because anything, you know, preservation is maintenance. And so I became really interested in how things were built, why that changed over time and ultimately how to keep those buildings around for the future. So I was always super interested in kind of the, the physical aspects of preservation that the trade aspects. I think that's great. And I, um, I think I, when you were talking about, um, you know, loving history, I think that was probably 
like the first glimpse of me wanting to do preservation because that was not my my initial um uh path like all through high school I was going to be a social worker I that that's what I was going to do I you know got accepted to multiple um bachelor's degree programs to be a social worker and then my senior year of high school I got really sick with my wisdom teeth for like four months I was sick mm. and I was home from school a lot they couldn't figure out what was wrong because my this is like completely off subject, but my, my wisdom teeth were infected, but they couldn't figure out what was wrong. I just kept getting sinus infections. So I would, you know, take antibiotics, get better, but it doesn't, it wasn't solving the problem because my wisdom teeth were still there. So once they figured out that it was my wisdom teeth, they removed them and I was fine, but I was home from school, like a lot, my senior year of high school. And I was watching like daytime TV and they, there was like a pastry, like learn to be a pastry chef you know, commercial. I'm like, that's what I want to do. And like, I had, and so I, um, but my whole senior year, because I didn't want to take math, I didn't want to take science. My whole senior year was full of history classes. I was in the social studies wing the entire, the entire <laughs> week or the, you know, the entire day. And um, my dad, you know, worked on older buildings. That's, that's how I got into preservation. Eventually my, my dad, you know, was a preservation carpenter. But, you know, I grew up around it, but I didn't think that was like a path for me. (laughs) And, but, but that like looking back and my love of history and wanting to take all those different history classes, that was like the first glimpse that I was headed in this direction. And then I went to culinary school. (laughs) Silver linings of being stuck at home for four months, senior year, the worst when all the fun stuff is supposed to happen. So, but you found a life path and that's yeah. more important than going yeah, to prom. Yeah. So anyway, I, I think my, my parents were a little shocked. I was like, I'm going to go to culinary arts school, but they supported it. And I, and I did that. And then I, after I got out, I worked at a bakery for, for a few years and then um, I got married and I started working for my parents and that's how I ended up here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then I did, I went back to school, but um, so tell me about the work you do. You've mentioned your, your teaching, but you do other things also. I do. So, you know, the main gig is teaching. So I teach architectural history and historic preservation, a couple of different courses in each of those. And then um, currently, and I'll probably have to give this up soon because we're growing and there's too many sections of, you know, youngins for architectural history. But right now I teach our capstone class and that's a lot of fun because it's, it's a year long. So in the fall, they have to basically conceptualize a project um, you know, do the design development. If it's an architecture student, um, if it's a trade student, you know, do the shop drawings, right. come up with a schedule for spring, a budget. And then in the spring, they execute their pieces. Oh, that's great. So that's really fun because, yeah. you know, I have more background in carpentry than any of the other trades, but it's fun because I have students of each trade yeah. and they're learning and you learn something, you know, when I'm 80, I'll still learn something from every different project. Yeah, yeah. And that's what makes traditional architecture and preservation so fun is it's not like we're stick framing this exactly the same as the one we did 80 of last right, week. Right. Yeah. There's so a, we have a, yeah, we have a pretty, um, well-known trade school here in, in town, but they're mostly focused on modern building. And they do, they have houses that they build and, and resell, yeah. um, but they're all, they all look the same. Like, yeah. I think that would get so boring. <laughs> well, it's like, once you learn and we did that, like we built a 2,400 square foot house senior year for the construction program. And it was great because you learned so much about the steps and the process and we, you know, we did it and then they'd auction it and that would pay for the material for the next right 
year, but once you kind of have that down, not that any of it's easy, but the techniques don't really change that much. And so it was a great basis, but it was the historic stuff I wanted to do. So the students here, some of them will be, you know, preservation practitioners. Some will be doing custom, you know, new stuff for whatever, probably for, you know, custom residential, but short story long, that's a lot of fun, that class. And some of them have to get permits because we're in the historic district. So helping them walk through that. That's and, a good learning process too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, they learn the hard way that there's no speeding up bureaucracy. <laughs> it might take three months. So we have these deadlines, like if you need permits or this type of material, like right. let's talk about lead time. So that's fun. But then my other, my other job, I have a, a small company called Butler Preservation and it's a basically a property research company. So I do um, national register nominations. Um, I do house histories just for people who say, oh, I bought this. I'm so excited. Tell me everything. Um, And then I do preservation plans too. So coming over and telling somebody the age, how to fix things. Um, I do a lot of work for architects when they need to pull board of architectural review permits Mm -hmm. and they have to do their, you know, precedent research. Right. So that's a lot of fun. And I used to do more hands-on stuff through my company, like window sash rebuilds, but because I teach so many classes, I can't really say, okay, I'm pulling out your five windows and I'll be back in three months. Let me just give you some plywood. So now um, I really only do physical preservation work during the summer when I have like more time to devote and I've gotten, this is going to sound terrible, but I've gotten picky about it because it's just only so much time. Right. Yeah. And, and you want to be able to put, put your efforts towards things that you're passionate about and and that you enjoy doing, especially since you have a limited amount of time, not that you're not passionate about your teaching because I can definitely tell that you are. (laughs) Well, thank you. But yeah, I never want to do anything that I'm going to cut corners on. Like I want to have time to do it right. Um, so yeah, Butler preservation has been a lot of fun. I guess the most interesting project I'm working on right now, and this, this was in, um, preservation magazine and THP uh-huh. a couple years ago, there's a really interesting 1880s house called Hutchinson house. God, I had a picture on my wall somewhere behind me, but, um, it's on Edisto Island, which is a kind of coastal sea Island close to Charleston. And it had been in one family until about 2016, had wow. a lot of deferred yeah. maintenance, you know, they'd moved yeah. away, but it was basically, despite some condition issues, some rather serious ones. Oh no. Yeah. It was almost frozen in time. So that project, the initial research I did with my preservation students. And so, you know, folks will contact the college and they say, I have this cool building. I don't even know where to start. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. And so if it's a good fit and I think the students will learn and, and the client, you know, needs some help, can't afford a preservation consultant, we'll tackle it. Okay. So, that's great. That's, that's a great win-win for everybody. Yeah. And then the student can say they had like a real world client to put on a resume. So we did, um, a house history and condition assessment and preservation plan for that house. And then several of the students got to go back and do the first phase of stabilization work because they are, they were working for one of our alums whose um, preservation contracting company basically got 
that contract. Right. So that was really cool because they wrote the plan and then a year later they got to go do the work. Yeah. Short story long, that house, um, the group that owns it, Edisto Island Open Land Trust, they got um, an NPS grant and a SHPO grant to do the next phase of work. And what makes the house so important, it's a kind of vernacular balloon framed kind of situation. Okay. Yeah. It's cute, you know, local material, like very vernacular, um, like carpenter Gothic-esque kind of details. Uh -huh but it's the oldest and most intact surviving house on that island built by free people. Oh, awesome. And so it's this really great kind of reconstruction era piece of history. Yeah. Is it and in danger from like the sea level rise or? Knock on wood, no, it's, okay. it's pretty far inland. Uh, it's also was built up on um, traditional brick piers oh, so okay. it have to be again knock on wood it'd have to be a pretty major one yeah, yeah. but um its main threat was just you know deferred maintenance that the sill beam on the back of the house was like cracked there's mm -hmm. holes in the roof there's yeah. holes in the floor so we had to be you know okay students two in each room at a time and space right. yourselves yeah. out but now it's stabilized and the exteriors restored and I put in a bid and, and got it through Butler Preservation to write the developmental history of the interior and the porches mm -hmm. because they've got money to um, basically reconstruct the lost original wraparound porches. Oh. And we've got some really good yeah. photos of it. Um, and the, the replacement little portico on the front by 2018 was kind of toast anyway. Right. So they weren't really removing any fabric. They sort of had to for repairs. Right. So it created this great opportunity to really bring to the house back. back. So currently um, I'm working on that. And that's been a lot of fun to sort of see that house through a bunch of different phases. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, that sounds exciting. That does sound like a very exciting project. Um, so what I think how I came to, to know about you was the article um, in the um, Charleston newspaper about, oh, yeah. uh, about your, your new old house. Uh, so, so tell me a little bit about, about, about your, pro your personal project. <laughs> yeah. um, so that, that article in the city paper was a lot of fun. And I think probably the best compliment I've ever received is he called me a preservation badass <laughs> in the article. Yeah. Like, I didn't know you could print that, but I'll take it. You know, that's <laughs> you can get it on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I need bumper stickers that say that. But um, yeah, so our, our house, my husband and I, he's a historian for the county library and I'm a preservationist. So we're a very nerdy bunch. Like the, the dinner table conversations is just anything history related. Right. But I had had a small historic house from the 1920s and I was, it had been badly flipped. I had it for about nine years, kind of worked on one phase of it at a time, which I don't know if you've encountered that, but when you're trying to do it while you live in it, it's kind of a, <laughs> kind of a nightmare. Yes. Yeah, it's rough. So I sort of got the house where I wanted. And then Nick, the um, husband, he found a vacant lot a few blocks away. Like he moved into my historic house, sold his little suburban house because I said, no way am I moving <laughs> to the suburbs. You can come live with me in the weird part of downtown in my little house. And Jenny did. And the, the vacant lot was just a couple blocks away, but both of us really like 18th century 
kind of early Georgian, just minimalist, traditional aesthetic. And Charleston's price point is such that um, we would never be able to afford an 18th century house here. Right. Yeah. And the more we thought about it, we thought, well, so many houses that live to be 250, they're modified so much that a lot of that original character is gone. Right. Wouldn't it be fun if we could sort of create, granted, we used sheetrock because we couldn't afford plaster. So right. we cheated a little bit, yeah. but wouldn't it be fun to basically be able to recreate an 18th century early house that never got messed with or modified? So um, I'm, uh, I have a specialty contractor license, so, you know, I can do um, painting, wallpaper, hanging, um, you know, sheetrock, trim carpentry, that kind of stuff. So um, we decided to design the house ourselves, and Nick did all the plans and he would show me something and I'd say, oh, you know, that's not an accurate trim profile or that's right. too expensive, redraw that. And he was a good sport and he did <laughs> <laughs> repeatedly. And, you know, in South Carolina, you don't need an architect. You just need a structural engineer to stamp your plan. Okay. Um, so we didn't really, architects are great, but we knew what we wanted. We right. didn't really need the design guidance. So he finished the plans. Um, we got them stamped. We took it to the Board of Architectural Review because it's a cool working class area, but it's right. actually in the historic yeah. district. Yeah. So we had to go through, you know, the same steps you would have to in an expensive part of Charleston, right. even though it is becoming, but isn't isn't crazy yet. So we did found. That, did your did did were they very receptive to your plan? Did it go Did it go through pretty well? It, it it did however and i can say this because the thing is built so it doesn't matter <laughs> now um currently our board of architecture is not really big fans of what they would call traditional or sort of fake historic okay they actually kind of prefer something that's more of a you know modern temporary yeah yeah and that's not our jam and yeah. so when we took our drawings, we took them several times to the city architect because ultimately it's like taking something to the national register. Yeah. The review board votes, but the shippo is going to give you feedback and be right. like, hey, that's probably not going to fly. So we met several times with the city architect and he kept saying, oh, well, that's this feature is too traditional. And we he gave us some really good suggestions, but a lot of it we said, well, you know, thanks for the advice. We're, we're going to go for it. Right. And it's basically people regularly go past it and think it's older than it is, which, you know, it's kind of what we were going for. Right. That's, yeah. a, you know, preservation ethics of 2022 aside, it's, it's our house. Right. We wanted it to look yeah. the way we wanted. Um, and we actually didn't have much trouble because if we weren't going for neoclassical grandeur, the house right. doesn't have piazzas with Tuscan columns. It basically looks like a pre-Georgian early house. Yeah. It's a box, yeah. you know, and it has a simple hip roof. And so really the aesthetic of 18th century vernacular is kind of minimalist. Right. Yeah. So in a way, a modernist can sort of be okay with that, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so we did get permission to use um, Cypress beaded bevel siding which you are allowed to use hardy plank, but we didn't want to. Right. And um, we got permission to get nine over nine true divided light windows, which we were excited because right. you know, yeah. they're double glazed, but yeah. they're wood and they look traditional. And we were kind of expecting them to say, oh no, you know, those are too historic, but 
they let us do pretty much oh, everything. That's we want. great. Yeah, that's great. I, I sit on our, so we have in Lancaster City, we have two different review boards. We have the HARB, which is the architectural, the historic architectural review board, which is like the much more strict. They, um, they, you know, they'll, they, they review light fixtures and, you know, different things for the exterior. And then I sit on the, his, um, the historical commission, which is the, pretty much the rest of the city, but it's okay. just, it's just reviewing like new construction additions and any demolitions. Okay. So I feel so out of my depth when we're, when they're reviewing new, new construction, because like, I'm like, I don't care. You're building in a parking lot. Like, <laughs> Right, right. Like it's gonna look the same as the box yeah. next to it. I don't care. Now I, I I have comments when they're when they have plans to demolish and things like that. But you know, but yeah. but I agree that like most of what everybody's bringing before us is very modern, very very contemporary. And I and I and one a few meetings ago they brought a, a building that they're actually moving, but on the same lot. They're just moving it. It's right in the middle of the lot right now. They're moving uh -oh. it away, and. Um, um, they're putting a, like um, a deck on the back and it looks like a, it, it looks like a stage. <laughs> That's what it looks like to me. It looks like uh, one of those stages that you just slide out in the gymnasium. <laughs> That's what oh it. no. And, and, a good aesthetic. No, no. And I said, and I said, I said, you know, I know the secretary of interior standard says, you know, distinct, but compatible. And I know you're in the distinct camp. I'm probably in the more compatible camp. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> Especially like in a, in a working class area. And I say that meaning simple two-story right. wood yeah. frame houses. Yeah, not fancy houses, yeah. Yeah, it would have been weird to try and put in the beach house on stilts or right. something that was yeah. just jarring. Yeah. So we were trying, you know, the house is a little bit taller than the neighbors yeah. because yeah. of FEMA, because right. we're on the coast. Yeah. And we actually, this is rare to get to, we were really lucky, but we had to build four and a half foot up for base flood. Yeah. And we asked permission to go up another two and a half feet to hit seven. Yeah. And they usually won't let you because they don't want the houses to right. be just like a jagged yeah. tooth, one that's too tall. But we made the argument that in Charleston, there's a precedent for having a full raised basement. Yeah. Usually with a couple windows on the front and that area would have essentially been storage it wasn't finished space it right. was kind of sacrificial for flooding reasons so they let us do it because there was a precedent for doing it and we were taking design cues from, from the, the community yeah. and so it's high enough that I have a workshop under there so I've got my workbench and I'm you know able to yeah. do my carpentry work um kind of under the footprint of the house but from the street it looks like a traditional house yeah. oh I think so it was a really fun yeah. fun project yeah, and we had a GC Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's really smart because I have had a, a house mover on uh, the podcast before and he told me that mm. they, they move houses, but they also raise them up, you know, in coastal areas. And he told me that there are several projects that they've had to go back and raise again because of addition. So that's really smart to go a little bit higher than, so you yeah. don't have to revisit it. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, in our city until just a couple of years ago, the BAR really frowned on elevating historic houses, yeah. but we've had so many, granted, they were all category ones, but a lot of them hit at high tide. And we've had so many significant rain events back to back that basically the city had to recognize, 
a building can only flood so many times before the owner says, I can't afford that deductible. I'm out. Right. Yeah. And so who's going to want to insure it? Yeah. Right. If, yeah. if you can even get insurance right. and then right. if you can, that deductible is still really expensive. So the city's gotten a lot better at kind of responding to that stuff. And we were lucky. Um, and so we had a general contractor and then I had them basically sub all the finished work to me. Um, so that's kind of how we afforded it and kept it the way we wanted. And it, all the color palette is um, 18th century, historically accurate colors. The trim profiles are all accurate. Um, yeah. That's great. A lot of nerdy love and research went into that. <laughs> I think it's great. Um, so do you, can you, like someone that's, that kind of, that wants to plan a new old house, do you have any, any tips for them? Ooh, that, that's a good question. Um, I think a lot of it is, you know, don't reinvent the wheel. Traditional architecture, you know, tradition, sure, it can be stifling, but largely it exists because people learned. They learned what worked and what didn't. So planning a new old house, I think really your design cues should come from historic buildings in that community for starters. And secondly, is go for simplicity. I wish I had this book. It's in my library at home. So I'm going to forget the name of the author, but it's basically how to build a new old house. Okay. And it was a fabulous book. It's probably like early 2010s or something. Uh -huh. um, and granted, it was a higher price point, kind of fancier than what we were going right. for. But I would recommend that book to anybody. And one of the things the architect again, sorry, I can't remember, but his design approach was almost sort of arts and craftsy where the houses he was designing looked like they had grown over time. Right. Where, you know, like Webb's brick house where it's like, oh, well, this was all built in the 1760s, but it has these kind of interesting intersecting roof lines. And we had a small lot because it's downtown. And so we had to deal with that but we kind of went the opposite where our house it's a charleston single house which is the ones that are narrow facing the right. street and the the size of it is based on historic precedent so it's like 17 wide by 42 long just two yeah. stories stacked over that raised basement and instead of wanting it to look like a house that kind of rambled and grew over time we wanted it to look like a 1750 house no one yeah. messed with. Yeah. And so we didn't want bump outs where you're like, oh, well, there's the bathroom. Right. So like it obviously has one. We made right. concessions. It has, you know. Well, I, I was actually thinking that's the benefit to your approach is that you got like the traditional look, the traditional feel, but you didn't have that retrofit. Exactly. Of, of, the, of the bathroom, of the kitchen, of, of the modern necessities. Yeah. And that's the struggle. And we need those in houses, but a lot of damage is done stylistically and right. structurally. Yeah. So right. we were lucky because we could say, okay, here's the historic footprint. How do we fit everything in that without having to have weird bump outs? And we were able to do it. And Nick gets the credit for that. He figured out how to put in this tiny little side hall that allowed us to have like an ensuite downstairs for when the parents are old right. and have to move in. But I think my best advice would really be just, you know, decide what it is you like about old houses in the first place. Right. And just incorporate it, you know, tradition, it, it exists for a reason. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so what, um, what trends or challenges do you see in, in preservation from kind of your, your vantage point? Ooh, <laughs> it's like, I could use pages and pages. I think... 
<laughs> so keeping it concise, I think for us in coastal communities, whether it's, you know, Ellicott City or Newport or Charleston, rising sea level and increasing flooding is right. a big challenge because most of our built environment, really everywhere in the world, it's all on the waterfront, right. you know, for shipping, for water access, for a host of reasons. But that means some of our most important communities are at ground zero yes. and they always have been, but it's getting harder, especially in Charleston. We're just building so much new stuff. We're just cramming. Everyone wants to be here. It's a beautiful place. Right. And so it's challenging now to figure out like how to fit increasingly large volumes into this small historic city without a causing more flooding because you lost permeable surface right you know, b without losing the character that makes people want to come here yeah. so i think that's a huge challenge and from like a, a broader picture kind of throughout the u.s i think there's a real shortage of trade practitioners and you know everyone always talks about the skills gap and folks will be like, oh, well, we'll do a field school. You know, we'll have a three-week workshop. And well, yeah, those drive me crazy. Three weeks isn't enough. <laughs> I, I know, like, I don't want to, I don't want to detract, but it's like, okay, now someone knows enough to be dangerous. It, it you know the buzzwords you, and they can go in and convince people they know what they're yeah, doing. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, get a project management job that they actually don't know how to do. Right. So I think those kind of programs, you know, whether it's a six-month thing or a three-week thing, I think they're a great starting point. And I think they can lead people towards great careers, but... It's a way to you know, know that you're interested. Exactly. It's not an end-all. And I think people modern folks, people who are alive in 2022, it's really easy. We all are guilty of this to look at something else and say, oh, that looks fun. How hard could that be? Right. Well, actually, oh, I do that. I hard. do that all the time. <laughs> and then I get in the middle of this project and I'm like, oh, that was not as much fun as I imagined. Right. The, the planning it was fun. And then I tried to do it and yikes, this was worse than I was expecting. <laughs> you know, and I'm the uh, eternal optimist. I always go into projects. I'm like, oh, you know, this won't be too hard. And then it's an epic disaster because you find a rotten wall and you're like, well, now it's not just the jam. I'm fixing to have to reframe like part right. of this wall. Yeah. If we always thought about that, we would never tackle projects to be fair. <laughs> but um, I think there's just a real shortage of trade practitioners. Yeah, I and I think it's going to take a long time to fix that. Yeah. I think a lot of it, you know, just working here ha has taught me your average person, not our audience, they obviously know all this stuff. We're preaching to the choir. But if you ask somebody what plaster is, a lot of people actually don't know. Right. They don't understand that that's rendered onto a substrate. They, they're like, oh, plasterboard, you mean drywall? Right. No, it's a completely different product. And so I think we kind of have to re-educate the American public from the top down to understand what this stuff is and why it matters and how to fix it correctly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and the understanding of why building changed at the, in the, you know, in the, the, the late 1940s, early 1950s. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that that's, I think that's very important. Although I do have a soft spot in my heart for mid-century architecture that, um, that, um, those materials were not made to be repaired or maintained no, they weren't. and, and it's just, it's not the same. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I definitely agree with you. I, I, I've seen it a lot. So for a long, my husband actually started working with my parents before I did. Um, 
I, we started dating. He was going to school to be an accountant, which makes me giggle now. Like to imagine him being an accountant makes me giggle. And look at you guys now, marketing and, yes. you know, yeah. social work. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So my, my dad or my dad over the summer when he was, he, he was like, do you want to come help me? And then Jonathan just never left. He, he just stayed working with my dad. They worked together for over 20 years. And um, Jonathan was always the youngest person on the job site. And now he's in his, you know, mid forties and he's still one of the younger people on the job site. Now he does have a younger, now he does have a younger person, but my, my parents retired. Most of the people that I know that I used to, you know, have in my Rolodex to call they're retiring, you know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's, it, it, there, there's definitely, we definitely have a, have a gap there that we need to fill. And I think some of it was that push towards everybody going to college. Yeah. Not that I, not that I think that college is bad. And, but I don't think it's for everybody. And I, and I also, my other irritation just with the common perception is I don't think it's also for the kids that aren't doing well in school. Cause you need to have a brain to be yeah. able to do this work. Yeah. It's pretty hard. I yeah. mean, trade work, there's the physical aspect, of course, there's a skill level, but you know, especially with preservation, but just in general, you have to really be able to critically think and problem solve. And you put really well at the, at the beginning where you mentioned, you know, you have to understand how materials go together. Right. If you're just, I'm not going to give the address, but I just have a laundry list of dodgy stuff I've seen. And you're like, <laughs> if I had a time machine, I would just slap the person who did this in 1920 or whatever. But there's a, a house downtown and had a raised, partially excavated, but decent crawl space underneath it. And I'm short, but I could stand up, you know, right. fully. And they installed new ductwork, probably in the last 10 to 20 years. Yeah. And even though they could have dropped the chase below the joists, right? somebody who was like, I need to run this ductwork and didn't understand structure. They cut through about 25 joists and they cut almost two thirds of the mass. And it's a wonder that floor didn't cave. Oh my goodness. It was a yeah. long you, we cave. see that. And I'm sure you do too, because you're, you're on the East coast too, but we see that in colonial houses where the Victorians were adding plumbing, but yeah. I wouldn't imagine that somebody would do that now. That's shocking to me. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's what happens when you've got yeah. somebody who's, you know, maybe really good at new construction or flipping eighties stuff. Who's like, right. Oh, well I can make some money in preservation. How hard could it be? Right. And it just drives home that you can be really good at, at a trade and that's hard enough. But when you're working on a building that already exists, there's so many materials and things to consider. And so it's, it's difficult. Project management is difficult too. It is. It's different. It's different. Yeah. And when, yeah, we've been on projects. We do, we do both. We, we contract directly to homeowners, but then we also work for larger general contractors that need a specialty. Oh. And yes. so we've been on a few projects, not thankfully not a ton, because usually people just let us do our thing because they know that we'll just do it. But once in a while you get a young project manager that thinks they know more and they, you know, and then, then that's, that's usually when the issues begin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like how, again, how hard could it be? Like I read the textbook. Well, right. you know, experience yeah. the, I, we're always shocked. I'm sure you are too, when you just find surprises in a wall. And I don't yeah. mean like, oh, the fun glass bottle. I mean like a disaster in the wall. You yeah. just don't know. And you can kind of forecast the more projects you see, like you were saying, MCM stuff. I really like it. I mean, it's beautiful stuff, yeah. but some of those products weren't really 
designed to be repairable. Yeah. You know, that wasn't really the point. And so now it's like, okay, well, we're kind of learning the hard way. That is the shelf life of that type of, you know, right. mastic that yeah. we use to glue those faux stones onto the building. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you learn as you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that's that's very true. So before we wrap up, I have a couple more wrap up questions, but if, before we wrap up, is there anything that you wanted to share that you thought of maybe while we were talking that I didn't ask you or you didn't think to, to mention? Hmm. Gee, and I'm never eloquent quickly on the spot. Um, <laughs> I always think of things afterwards. <laughs> I should have, like, I should have written it down. But, um, no, I mean, that that's the main stuff. I, I guess a, a word of advice. I mean, I'm still fairly young. I'm only 37. But when you want to go into something that's different, I mean, most people know conceptually what architecture is. So right. if you're 18 and you say, I want to be an architect, most people, they understand what that is. But when you say preservation and explain to them what it is or timber framing and explain to someone what it is or draw them a picture because they usually need the picture. Yeah. Um, it's, it seems like this weird niche thing, like, oh, could I even make a living in that? Yeah. Do they need more than five preservationists in a town? And I think my answer would be, it seems niche, but it's actually a really big, broad field. You know, you can get into advocacy, planning, mm -hmm. trade work, I mean, project management, anything in between real estate. And so just because it's not really part of the modern American lexicon doesn't mean you can't do it. Doesn't mean there's not a lot of really good work and cool opportunities. Yeah, it just might be a little harder to find it. I agree with you. I, I really do. And I, and I think I, my, my dad always said there's enough work for everyone. And even through, you know, the worst, the recessions and everything, we've never been without work. So, yeah. you know, thankfully, but, but like that, I, I think that that's very true. Like, it's not like there's a, there's scarcity. There's a, a lot of people who care about their buildings and want them done correctly. Yeah. And I mean, speaking yeah. of the recession, your family's company, you can speak to this really well. People scaled back new construction projects. Right. You still have to do work on the buildings that are already there. Right. There's yeah. going to be that homeowner who said, oh, I was going to do a McMansion 5,000 square foot build. I can't afford to. Maybe instead I'm just going to work on what I already have. Right. Yeah. So nothing's recession proof, but I think our work is more so than like yeah because maintenance is yeah maintenance is maintenance is necessary no matter what's happening yes 100 <laughs> percent. yeah very yeah very true well um is there anything that you would um that you would like to promote shameless plug for american college of the building arts sure. <laughs> <laughs> um so you know again we're, we're a small school but and i know i always kind of oversell it but I think this place is fun to work because our students, regardless of trade, they learn the modern way. I mean, we, of course, have like state-of-the-art shapers and table saws. <laughs> we also right. make you do traditional handwork because really you need both. And like right. I have a fairly fancy router table, but it takes enough to set up that unless I'm running hundreds of linear feet, I'm just going to get out my hand plane. And That's do that exactly what my husband says. He's like, <laughs> yeah. he's like, I just need six feet of this. He's like, I'm just going to carve it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you'd think that would be slower, but the setup for modern machinery is such that like, I just, I'm going to cut this. I'm going to do this myself. Um, so this place is fun to work because we kind of do a little bit of everything. Some of them will do new construction. Sorry, I thought I was going to sneeze. Some will do preservation, but it's neat to work at a place that's kind of trying to 
one place can't, but fix that skills gap, yes. you know, get people to do traditional trades, but also in a modern work setting. So like our, our students have to take project management, they have to take right. architectural history. So I think for students who really want to do the trade stuff, there's us, there's not really many other college programs, yeah. but I would say, you know, to folks, don't be afraid to you know, do construction work on the side in the summer. If you think you like it, you know, just take an internship, even if you're doing a more traditional, i.e. modern architecture program, right. yeah, you know, definitely. branch out. There is such a shortage of work that we're not in that phase anymore where they'd be like, here, kid, have a broom. They'll be right. like, you're somewhat competent and willing. Like, yeah. there's you, so you have a work. brain, we can work with this. <laughs> I mean, do y'all have that? Do you have just trouble finding staff, finding people? We, we do, we do. And we're, so when my, when my parents retired, we had like 20 employees and it was a nightmare. <laughs> and um, Jonathan and I looked at each other and said, do we want to go get real jobs? What do we want to do? <laughs> and um, we decided to scale back. So right now, Jonathan, um, Jonathan has a, um, an apprentice and we're working on finding one other. And um, once in a while, if we need like skilled, skilled carpenters, we'll pull like subcontractors in because yeah, he needs them for something that's not it's really hard. What, what I found is it's really hard to find carpenters that want to stick with restoration because it's a lot of repair yeah. and details and they want to, you know, come in and frame and be done, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, um, we, that's typically how we handle that. And then my cousin, uh, my cousin, Nora helps me like with the podcast and things like that. So, um, that, that's, that's our size right now, but I, 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 I enjoy it a lot more than I did when, when I had, you know, all the shenanigans of all the different people. <laughs> then it's yeah. just, you know, management and it's less about the project. It, it is, is kind of it more is. fun to yeah. kind of stick yeah. small. Yeah. So, so we've, we've really, it was, it was kind of scary at first, but I, we're getting into, we're getting into a groove. I think. So, nice. yeah. yeah. So, um, so how can, how can our listeners contact you? Um, so the, I've got a website. It's just butlerpreservation.com. Okay. It's probably the easiest because it has, you know, my email and my cell phone number on there. Um, also, uh, acba.edu, which goes to our main page. And then there's okay. a little faculty button and you can click and, and send Perfect. an email through there. Okay. I'd say the website, I'm, I'm pretty anxious and so I check emails kind of constantly but I'm better about checking my personal one which is on the website okay. than you know for example if I'm on vacation and it's June and I know students aren't going to be emailing right, you won't worry about that interning right. I get slack so yeah reach out through the website okay, very good. That yeah, we'll make sure that that's on our site too so that awesome. if, if somebody's listening they can just go there and find find your episode and then and then find you well thank you so much for for your time today I really enjoyed our conversation and 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 learning about the American College of Building Arts well, thank you. This was a lot of fun. And thanks for tolerating my technical trouble at the oh, beginning. Oh, no, you're fine. Thank you. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast.
For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.